10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, the time is 1pm on Sunday the 9th of January 2022 and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, it's Pastoral CPD Clinic Part 3. Let's see if hashtag Pastoral CPD can reach Twitter domination this year. Today we're talking about restorative conversations, trauma-informed practice and practice and unconscious bias. I've got COVID, shouldn't really speak, let's see how this goes. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for tuning in or straight away, thank you for clicking on this um, episode to listen back. Welcome to everyone that's already coming into the room. You've already missed the intro. You are late. That's a, what do people call it? We call it a check. What do people call it again? Negative mark. I don't know. Negative behavior point. Um, but it's good to be back. 2022, flipping it. 2021 has, well, it, did it fly? I don't even know if it flew. Um, but I'll be interested to see what 2022 has to bring for the world, education, personal lives and everything else. Um, those who just join in, you may have heard and you've missed the intro, but I will do it again, as always, later on in the show. But COVID finally got me. It got me. I thought I was invincible. I'm not going to lie. I thought I had the T-cell immunity from birth or something. I thought I had, I thought I was calm. Um, I thought I was going to be okay. And then Thursday this week, I had a little, a little, so what happened was, story time here. And I'll, I can't wait to listen back to this in a, in a year or two's time, just to reminisce. So I was in a lesson. So this was on Thursday, yeah. And then obviously everyone's wearing masks and everything. And I was teaching one of my year nine groups, Karma we're talking about. What are we learning about? Who, Karma? Either way, I was teaching with a face covering on. And uh, welcome people in the room, just seen Pastor P and Aaron and Seema. Thanks guys for coming in. I'm just talking about my COVID and my COVID, uh, my grapple with COVID at the moment. So I was teaching my year nine group with a face covering on, which is tough, tough for the best of times. When all that moisture collects inside the face covering, man, it's disgusting. I don't know if you guys realize the same thing. Like it's absolutely disgusting. You can't talk at length with a face covering on without either losing your breath or just feeling like you're about to suffocate. So I was teaching and then... Funny enough, the principal actually walked in when I was teaching. And at the same time, um, I started to I started to splutter underneath my face covering. Not like a really gross way, but just like, oh, let me have a drink of water. Like, uh, like <laughs> I can imagine that sounded awful. Um, splutter's probably also the wrong word. Either way, I started finding it really difficult to speak under the mask. And I was like, ah, oh, let me just take a sip of water. By this time, as you can imagine, the whole class are in hysterics because there's me at the front being like, <laughs> let me get some water. <laughs> Had the water, sipped it, all good. Continued the lesson. Um, the principal, who I've got a very good work relationship with, like no issue. She was just, I think she was laughing. But you can never tell when people laugh when they're wearing a face covering. All they do is move their shoulders up and down. Um, and you have to look in their eyes. But I believe she was laughing at me as well. Or with me, who knows. So then I took a sip of water and it felt fine after that. And I was like, cool, let me just crack on with it. And I just continued the lesson. And then I talked for the rest of the day, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then as I got home that evening on the Thursday, I was like, you know what, let me just have a, let me just have a quick lateral flow because my throat feels a bit tingly, a little bit, 
a little bit itchy, a um, little bit hoarse, but nothing major, but just a little bit hoarse. So I was like, let me just, let me just have a look-see on the lateral flow tests. So I did all the, the jabbing and the jucking and the twisting and the, whatever you want to call it. And then I dropped it on the lateral flow and that second red line caught me by surprise. It came out thick and strong, that T line. I was like, oh my. So then as usual, I kind of called my partner. I was like, uh, babe. And she was like, what? And I was like, it's positive. She was like, you're lying. I was like, I'm not lying because, and the thing is I'd, I'd lied many a time just as a joke. Haha, <laughs> positive. No, I'm not. It was funny. Um, but this time there was no jokes. I was like, nah, babe, I've literally got it. It got me. Um, welcome to people in the room. I've just seen Don in the room. Um, ooh, it says Vabe Linton, or is it Vabe Linton, or is it, I don't know how to pronounce your name. Either way, so then, yeah, positive on the Thursday. And then did the necessary comms with school and everything else. Thank you, Pete. I've seen you said that you're you're sorry. Thanks, I'm all right, I'm about to say. So, um, yeah, symptoms-wise, very mild. Um, I was a bit hoarse on the Friday. Um, call me a pony. <laughs> Actually, I should have said I'm a little horse. That's what I should have said. The joke didn't work. I should have said I was a little horse on Friday. You could call me a pony. That's what I should have said, but it didn't happen. So either way. Um, so I was a little horse. <laughs> I was a little horse on Friday. I can't get out of my head now. Um, and obviously stayed off work, but I worked essentially like, so, cause I didn't feel bad. Like I didn't, if I was bedridden and felt under the weather and really down and really ill, then obviously I wouldn't work. But as you can probably tell, I feel okay. Like I did an assembly on the Friday in the morning, a virtual one, of course, as planned. So that didn't change. And then, and then what I met, what I kind of consciously did, just well, kind of consciously did was in um during lesson time didn't only really work, but outside of lesson time, I just did work essentially. I'm I'm still DSL, I still got safeguarding stuff behind the scenes, so I just went with my normal kind of work behind the scenes. Um. And yeah, and I feel okay. I guess the worst thing about this whole thing is having to be resigned to my bedroom um, 24 hours of the day with a face covering on when I go into the living room, not being able to really mix with my partner. And I'd see my son a little bit. He goes, hi, dada, or bye, dada, is what he says at the moment. And if I come into the living room, he's happy, but then I have to leave again because, yeah, I just don't want to put anyone at risk. Um, fortunately, I think my partner is negative. She, well, she is negative. And my son um has a little bit of a cough but we don't know if he's actually technically positive because we don't want to jab a, a cotton bud up his nose so we don't actually know but i'm going to presume he probably has a little bit of covid in his system which is unfortunate um so yeah so i just sit in a cold room the whole day um i've got my laptop i brought my ps4 in here so i've got my screens like i'm okay but it's just a bit dead um so hi caps caps you've been in the studio before nice to see you caps so if i'm honest it'll just be nice to have some callers at some point because um i think if i talk at length for an hour and a half even though i will want to because you know me i like to talk passionately about this stuff i feel like i may not have a voice by the end when i did my assembly on friday by the end of the assembly bruv when i when i did my assembly on friday um what was going to say? Yeah, by the end, I was like, ooh, and I felt like my voice was going to go. I've got a heater. I've Aaron's in the chat saying, you need a heater before you catch pneumonia. I've got a heater right by my, it's, heat, it's heating my calf as we speak. Um, so I've got a heater. So that's doing a job. So I've got the window open and I've got a heat blaring and it's heating up my calf and the back of my heel at the moment. Ooh, my heel needs cream. Sorry to put it on the radio, but that was, that's just a genuine thing. 
No one should give me an unfiltered radio. Somebody needs to call in and speak to me. I should not be on unfiltered radio. This is crazy. Either way, I've got the heater. I'm feeling okay. Um, thanks for all the people that are listening. If you sent me any kind of well wishes on social media and everything else, appreciate it. But yeah, I'm good. Omicron has got me. I believe it's Omicron. I've got mild upper back pain. I'm a little hoarse, um, a little bit, a little tickle in the throat. But apart from that, I'm all right. It's just dead having to stay in the room in quarantine, essentially. Caps, I'm from England, more specifically London. Um, so yeah, I know you're from Birmingham. So I've, I feel like I've seen your username in the chat before, Caps. So I believe you've been here. Maybe you've forgotten. My name's Khalil. We're going to run the intro one more time and we're going to get into talking about this is Pastoral CPD Clinic number three. Um, if you haven't heard of the Pastoral CPD Clinics, you can check them out on Spotify. You can check them out on Podbean. You can also go onto the hashtag Pastoral CPD. If this is your first time listening to Teachers Talk Radio, where have you been? But if you need to want to find out more about Teachers Talk Radio, you should go to at TT Radio 2022 now on Twitter. So they, I did ask a while ago if they're going to change the at or the handle on Twitter. They've changed it. We're no longer Teachers Talk Radio 2021. We are at TT Radio 2022. And our website is ttradio.org. And if you go to that website, you can listen back to all of our shows, including mine, but all of our shows about all things education-based. Let's get into the main theme of this show. I need a glass of water. If this, if no one calls in, this show may be cut short if I can't actually speak. <laughs> Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, it's now 1.10 on Sunday the 9th of Jan and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, it's Pastoral CPD Clinic Part 3. We're going to be talking about restorative conversations, we're going to be talking about trauma-informed practice and also unconscious bias. I got COVID, someone needs to call in and speak for me because I shouldn't really speak for an hour and a half. Let's see how it goes. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Right. I just took a little sip of water. Thank you to those that are coming in the studio. Um, I might as well just start my shows at one ten, you know, because most of you lot don't arrive at one. Those regular listeners, I see Miss Kato Stems just joined. Um, the regular listeners don't join at one. All you like, all you latecomers rocking in at ten past. Um, but yeah, we'll, let's get into it. The first topic that I'm going to talk about. This is, as I said, this is a pastoral CPD clinic. I've named it that because I've realised I feel like there's a dearth or a lack of pastoral focused uh, CPD in schools. And also maybe, well, not online, there's loads of stuff online, but definitely in schools. So um, the schools that I've worked in anyway. So I feel like I thought, you know, let's try to plug a gap. Let's use Teacher Talk Radio as a platform. Am I an expert? No. Do I have a lot of experience? Yeah. And I talk very convincingly, but I'm not an expert. Um, but I received a nice DM, actually. I know no one asked, but I received a nice DM a week ago, I think, from a guy who said he'd listened to one of my shows, whichever one it was, and said he'd taken something away from it and was going to put it into practice. I was like, whoa, that's nice. I was like, that's the whole point. I never know who listens, who listens back, who's here live, um, but it's just nice to interact with people. So the first thing we're going to talk about is restorative practices, something I'm really passionate about. And if I'm honest, something that I believe from what I've seen in schools and hear about isn't done to a consistently good standard in schools. 
By that I mean, this is something that is, needs to be led by teachers. And if it needs to be led by teachers um, for the benefit of students, there should therefore be some sort of training on it. Restorative conversations for people who maybe aren't working in the education sector. What we mean by that is, let's say, I don't know, there was a situation where a student, little Ahmed in your class, um, had a bad lesson, mucked about, did something bad, I don't know, threw a pen, flipped a chair, I don't know, stood on a table, swore, something, who knows? Something that's more serious than low-level calling out or something. So let's just say little Ahmed had that kind of problem. What restorative practices is where the teacher well, is kind of like a teacher-led uh, intervention, usually and most preferably before the next time you have this pupil in the class. And I'm going to caveat this, in my opinion, if there's been a major incident where where there's been a breakdown of, not yeah, breakdown in behaviour in the class, I was going to say breakdown relationship, not always a breakdown relationship, but just something's happened in the class and we've had to discipline this child, maybe in front of the whole class, maybe it's been a one-on-one -on -one conversation where you had to, be, you had to come across as quite disciplinarian with this child because it was quite a major incident. I believe there should be some sort of restoration or restorative practice in between. Some schools do it in tandem with detentions and they utilize that opportunity as a way for the teachers to go and speak to the kids. And some teachers or some schools do it on a more ad hoc basis where it's encouraged, maybe it's not mandated, but it's encouraged that a teacher should arrange a time to then meet with the child um, to speak about the prior, what happened before, but then most importantly, to go on and speak about what's going to happen next lesson, lessons going forward, clean slate, all that stuff. I've got some article on this that I've found from a website called SecEd. So that's sec-ed.co.uk. And it's a really great website that I have, um, yeah, stumbled across a while ago and it's got so many articles on so many things I've been wanting to talk about and I just can't champion it enough. I, I put its articles on my Twitter. Um, so at Khalil, K-A-L-I-L underscore R91. I put the articles on there. It's just worth a read. It's got loads of stuff on this website about all things education based. But for you guys in the chat, let me know what your kind of experience is before I get into it. What's your experience of restorative practices? Have you worked in a school where it's mandated? Have you worked in a school where it's encouraged? Have you worked in a school where they've tried to script it? Um, have you worked in a school where they do it only, but they don't do detentions? Um, where they try to do restorative practices only and don't do any kind of official detentions or sanctioning? Um, have you had no interaction with it whatsoever? What's your interaction with restorative practices to date? Caps in the chat. And Caps is saying that um, we had a teacher phone us on Friday and tell us how great our daughter was, but still the teacher got upset due to other students causing mayhem. So the te was that the teacher on the phone, um, on the phone to you, Caps, the teacher was saying that they were upset because of other students causing mayhem? That's a weird, that's a weird conversation. <laughs> that's a weird, uh, that's a weird conversation for a teacher to have with parent, for a parent of, of one of the, their, students if they're just complaining not complaining but talking about how the lesson went about other kids causing that's a strange conversation to have very honest and candid um but i don't i feel like i don't hear much about teachers calling up a parent talking about how great their daughter was but oh by the way there's a bunch of other numpties in the class that's mucking about <laughs> like it doesn't seem like the kind of conversation that i'd ever think of having i probably have a conversation with the parents of the alleged numpties but I, oh yeah i don't think i did i don't think i just opened that discussion with with a parent. Maybe that's just me, but um, that's interesting. 
Yeah, the Mao, yeah, Mao said, um, Mao in the chat has just said, weird. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's weird, man. So just to clarify, so teacher's phone said, your daughter's wonderful, wonderful, but there are numpties in the class causing mayhem. But your daughter's great. Your daughter's great. Like, that's a weird, that's a weird thing to, to open a conversation on. That's a can of worms, if I ever did see one. That's a can of worms. Because then, yeah, the, any parent would be like, hold on. So you're telling me there's kids mucking about and, and harming my my um, my daughter's chances of a proper education. What are you doing about that? What are you doing about it? What are your strategies for improving that? Tell me. Like, and then you, you're like, you gotta you gotta get into it. Um, so yeah, fair enough. Like that's a weird conversation to have. Um, yeah, I'm just scrolling through the chat. So we've got Mao's in here. Welcome, Mousey. Tom Rogers in here. Um, Miss Kosam. That's just weird. So then, yeah, Cap said, yeah, end of the class. Mao's going to say weird. Cap said, yep, I agree. Mao says, I don't think it's professional or appropriate. 100%. 100%. Um, Caps has gone on to say that she even put my daughter ne- oh man <laughs> so Caps has said I shouldn't laugh like this every time I laugh I feel my, I feel my little pony in my throat I get a little horse I'm going to use this throughout the show you're going to hate it um, so Caps has said she even put my daughter next to them to try show them how to do it oh using her as a pawn right okay 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 Caps I don't know if Caps you work in education or not um yeah, I don't know if you work in education. I know you're from Brum, but I don't, let me know if you work in education or not. Um, but so Caps is saying that this is a this is an age old strategy. Teachers know we know this one. Seating plans. I saw someone tweeting about seating plans a little while ago. An age old strategy. You put a a very well behaved pupil um, near or next to someone who maybe needs a bit more support with their with managing their behavior in the lesson. That is a strategy, but it's one of those strategies that you need to keep on the hush. Like you need to keep on a hush because you don't you don't want to be starting telling parents of these of these kids that are doing the right thing in lessons. Oh, by the way, I've deliberately chosen to to put your child next to one of the naughty ones just so they can show them um, how to do the right thing. Like you don't. It's a strategy that we use. I know we do use it, but it's one of those things where you got to keep that on the down low. That's not a thing you tell a parent. <laughs> like, come on, that's not a thing you tell a parent. Oh, wowzers! I like this. This this teacher is. Is um, very candid. Then we've gone on, yeah. So let's get back. Let's get. I've gone on. A, I've gone on a tangent. So talking about restorative practices. So Pastoral Pete, who was new to Teacher Talk Radio before the Christmas break, has now seems to be a regular, which is nice. Um, so Pastoral Pete said, "I just want to call him Pete, to be honest. I don't. I keep calling him Pastoral Pete. Pastoral Pete reminds me of um that person from Toy Story. Who's that? Toy Story Two. Is it Toy Story Two? Is there some sort of, um, what's his name? Ah, uh, deputy, someone tell me in the chat. De- yes. <laughs> it is a stinky, it's stinky. <laughs> Do you know what? It's got nothing to do with, nothing to do. <laughs> do you know what, Pete? It's got nothing to do with um, you as a person. It's just putting, put, Putting something before the word Pete reminds me, reminds me of stink of stinky Pete from from <laughs> let me have a break. One second. Whew. Oh man. Reminds me of stinky Pete, stinky Pete from Toy Story. Just because it's prefixed with some sort of well, in that case it's an adjective. Yours is 
kind of an adjective or whatever else, or just like, it could be your name, but it'll be either way. That's funny. Um, so Pete has said, with regards to restorative practices, we don't mandate it, but I encourage it as good practice. The best practitioners will make this a part of their response. Um, I'm not keen on them being held in detention, personally speaking. Wrong times for some students emotionally. Pete, I, I, Pete's coming on. I'm going to get Pete on one of my shows because I feel like every time Pete says something, um, I'm like, because I feel like he just hits the nail on the head. So my opinion on it is, should you force staff to have restorative practices? I'm going to go with a no. Reason being, if whenever, whenever something becomes like forced, must happen every time it can sometimes detract from the or mm, the kind of what's the word i want authenticity of it if it feels like from a staff perspective that it's an additional i'm going to use the word sure and something they must 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 do um although it has its positives it feels like a bit it can become a bit unorganic a bit unauthentic you would hope that teachers come into the profession wanting kids to be better want help kids and you would hope therefore that teachers would utilize opportunities to have that impact on a young person and make time for it um and i think when you mandate and say they must do it i feel like it takes a bit of the ownership away from staff um and some situations not every detention or not every behavioral incident needs a restorative conversation i can't think of some that do and don't i can't remember but obviously the mid to low ones usually don't um, if it's like if they've been calling out, maybe maybe you need to make a judgment call on that whether you need to have a proper sit down with them. Maybe the more high level stuff does, but yeah, I I think it should be encouraged, and only after you've taught it and actually done some your own in house CPD on it. Um, but I think it should be encouraged definitely. But I don't agree with being mandate agreed. Um, and what Pete's gone on to say is that he doesn't think it should take place in detentions because it's the wrong time for some students emotionally. I'm sure we've all seen that firsthand. Because when you're in that detention, that's a time when you think back to when you were wronged. Or no, I say wronged. Think when kids think back on a time, or maybe to their, as far as they're concerned, they've been wronged, or when they've had a hard time in the lesson. So then we always ask kids to reflect, fill out your reflection, whatever else. Um, and then you're coming as a teacher, storming through the, not storming, walking through the door. Your face is a reminder of what happened in the lesson two hours ago. Now the kid might be reverting back to their um, emotional response that they felt at the time. And then now you're trying to come with that kind of some teachers, unfortunately, I'm going to talk about the energy that you that you approach restorative conversation with. But some teachers come with the wrong energy, the wrong energy to a kid who's in the wrong place emotionally. And now's not the time. And the amount of times in my previous school and everything else, I've had to like say to teachers, you know what, either have this conversation outside um, or I think we should could we just we'll wait a couple of minutes, two minutes tomorrow and let's defer this because um now's not the time so i think if you mandate it to take place in detentions i think you are setting yourself up for some battles and for it not to be um as effective as it should be so yeah pete thank you for that um yeah mal says i rarely gave detentions and i and i worked through some rough schools in london that's do you know what um yeah detentions and checks and negative stuff i rarely give them and then sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, maybe in highest I'm like, ah, oh, do you know what? Even I should have given it there. Like I've I've done everything in my power to get them to do the right thing. I just feel like my first job as a teacher in behavior managing is trying to get the kids to do the right thing. That's my first, like my job is to try and get the kids to do the right thing. My job isn't to sanction. Sanctions I see as a last resort. 
Um, so I try and do everything in my power. First thing I try to do, of course, is try to work out if they actually know what they're doing academically. And then second of all, what strategies? Can I move them? Before I even sanction them, can I move them? Is, are they just proximate to something that I just move them away? Can I remove what's causing the disturbance in terms of whatever distraction um, or the court? Those kind of things. I try to do everything before resorting to checks and sanctions and whatever else. Because that's not like, don't, I'm not trigger happy with it. And I don't think we should be. I think we should expect the best and try to put in strategies. Of course, it gets to a point where you're like, listen, I have done everything for you and I can't do much more. And you just need to realize that now. Sorry, now you've got your behavior, whatever. Um, but yeah. Um, I keep going on tangents. I can't believe it's already been 25 minutes. This is crazy. Loads of ch comments in the chat. Thank you for your interactions. Let's move through. Um, Caps has said it will end up dumbing down my kids. That's a hark back to um, putting the, the well-behaved daughter of Caps next to someone who's maybe not more, not well-behaved. It could be a distraction. I know. Um, yeah, I, there are pros and cons. Pros and cons to it. Um, and then Cap, uh, no, Mao's gone on to say, I use restorative justice methods and talking to children. Um, why do we, why do we expect kids to know? How to, oh, right, there we go. <laughs> why do we expect kids to know how to behave? So just what I was saying, um, we need to yeah, we need to teach them. It's a teachable thing. Behavior is a teachable thing, without a doubt. Um, we move on. Then that was a load of laughing things around Stinky Pete. I'm up. I'm, <laughs> I've seen um, Caps has said, "Hey there, Stinky Pete," in the comments. That's funny. Mao said it needs to be part of the culture, not an add-on. In, indeed, it needs to be ingrained. It needs to be ingrained. Um, then Miss Cato Stems come in, and we were talking about whether I asked a question about whether restorative conversation should be scripted. Miss um, Cato Stems said that having a script that staff must follow is the worst. It might be useful for the new teacher to refer to, but makes experienced teachers feel you finished. Um, you didn't finish, but makes experienced teachers feel. <laughs> I, mean, I imagine it's going to be maybe, uh, what's the word I want? Someone help me out. What word is that last one? Could make experienced teachers feel patronized, maybe? Is that the word you're looking for? Patronized or, I can't think of another word. But I agree. I, th I, th I, could, I feel like, <laughs> I agree. I feel like having a script takes away from the organic and authenticness, authenticity of it. Um, I feel like you should have pointers. I think you should have guidance because new staff that have never done one before need to know some guidance. I'm going to provide some guidance off the dome. And also I think you guys can give some guidance in the chat because you're all some professionals in here as well. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, if I was given a script, I wouldn't, I know I wouldn't follow it because everything is so context specific and behavior management is so context specific. Children are context specific that you can't be giving me a script and saying every instance of negative behavior, you need to ask this question, this order, no chance, no chance. Um, but I think having guidance around the do's and the don'ts or the should do's and should nots, I think that would be useful. So with that in mind, um, those, those of you in, actually let's scroll down, I'll ask a question in a moment once I get through the comments. Um, yeah, Mao says wrong energy and body language. And I feel like what Mao's talking about there is teachers approaching restorative conversation. Let me talk about it now. As far as I'm concerned, as a teacher as approaching a restorative conversation, you this is not a second opportunity to tell the kid off. So if you're listening to this and you're maybe new to the profession or maybe not really well versed in the pastoral side or really don't really deal with it that much, a restorative conversation is not a second opportunity to tell the kid what they did wrong. It's not a second opportunity to tell the kid off and talk about and then for you to talk as a teacher again. 
I'm assuming you already had that conversation when you disciplined them the first time. So when you have the restorative conversation, which I believe should take maybe the next day in the morning before the lesson, we should come from a clean, it's a clean slate and it's a looking forward conversation. And I think it's important as teachers to model that we need to also, even if you can't think of one, or maybe the situation doesn't really lean in favor of one, you need to be seen to be making some sort of adjustment yourself as well as the adult. So for that, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Most common cause of misbehavior, I believe, is um, not understanding the work, being confused, not wanting to admit it, that kind of stuff. I think that's one of the most common causes of low to mid-level disruption. They weren't listening at the beginning because maybe something else happened in the corridor. They missed the beginning of the lesson. They missed the exposition. They missed the explanation. When it comes to the actual now get on with it stuff, the AFL wasn't there. So the kid doesn't know what they're doing. So instead of asking for help, they just talk to people and mess about. So I feel like if that, if you can identify that as the cause, then I feel like during your restorative conversation, you can say, do you know what, in future, I'm going to make sure to check in with you when I'm doing the questions or whatever else. So, oh, do you know what, I'm going to consciously come and sit with you uh, or attend to your attend to you when I set people off and I'm going to come and check you're okay because I know you're not too confident with letting me know. So maybe that's something. I feel like you as an, as an adult need to approach it with making sure you communicate what adjustment and change you're going to make as the adult, not just kid, you're going to do this and now you're going to do this and now you're going to do this. I think what's also quite, what's also powerful in restorative conversation is the child needs to do the talking. I'm not going to go down the road of percentages, how much percentage is teacher talk and kid talk, but I feel like the conversation should start with the teacher saying something like, little Ahmed talked to me about last lesson, man, what happened? Talk to me about it. And that kind of tone, what happened? What happened? Talk to you about it. And then what normally happens is the child will then go through their own kind of play by play. And sometimes they reference something that you never even knew happened. You never, maybe they say, ah, oh, someone slapped the back of my head and I got annoyed about it. And you're like, what did they? I never saw that. Of course I never saw it. We don't see everything. But I feel like you need to get, you need to let the child speak. I've seen restorative conversations where there's been two adults and the child didn't really get in a word in edgeways. Edgeways? Edgeways. Don't know how that, what that phrase is. Um, edgeways. I don't know. <laughs> um, the child needs to speak, man. And then you can guide them to be reflective if you want them to be, but also for them to come to their own conclusions about what they can do. First of all, to help themselves. Do they want to do better in your lesson? If they don't, then you need to start there because there's an issue. If they don't want to do better in your lesson, where are you going? So if they want to do better, if they understand the purpose of being in the class and everything else, get them to come to the conclusions through guided questioning, just like you would in a classroom if you're trying to get them to understand something academic. Use the same strategies when you're trying to get them to under understand something more pastoral or to do with their behavior. Guided questions. What can you do next? What, what impact do you think that had? What could you do next time? Is that... Is that, are you happy with your behavior when you look back on it? And those kind of questions. Um, I've rambled on for 18 pages, going to scroll through the chat. There's been a lot of messages. Um, let's see what people are saying. Um, Caps is saying, experience is everything. Mal a while ago said, often it's a teacher that needs to learn emotion regulation. Listen, Mal, it's, do you know how many, how many times I've seen previous schools, teachers still going into that conversation on a hype? They've taken the behavior personally. Behavior of, of a student in your class, don't take it personally. If you start to take behavior personally and you start thinking things like they misbehaved for you, just like you're saying they behaved for me, that kind of approach, then you're going to approach this all wrong. 
try your best. I know it's difficult. We're human. Try your best to not take the behavior um, personally, because as I'm going to talk about maybe later on, trauma-informed practice and all that kind of stuff means there's a deeper level, tip of the iceberg. The behavior you see is the tip of an iceberg. There's a whole bunch of stuff probably going on for that child underneath the surface of the water, if we continue the metaphor. Um, so don't take it personally. And don't come into restorative conversation on a hype, because that's not going to help either. Um, so then we've got, yeah, Mao's gone on to say, um, sometimes kids just need a reset, indeed. I think Mao was talking about um, whether you have to give out detentions and that kind of stuff. There are better, there are better ways that Mao's saying to, to handle um, low-level disruption or misbehavior. Sometimes a reset, whether that's time out outside the classroom, that kind of stuff, where they need to be collected by on call and just taken elsewhere just to be spoken to without an audience. Yeah, don't underestimate the power of an audience for a teacher and also for a young person. So all that kind of berating in front of the class with everyone else there, avoid that as much as possible. Um, Pete's gone on to say authenticity is the word. Kids see through those that aren't. Kids are most kids are so perceptive. Kids are more perceptive than adults. Um, kids know when you're fake. Kids know when you're tired. Kids know when you're happy. Kids know when you're being different to normal. Kids are so perceptive. They see through uh, a forced restorative conversation. And if your heart's not in it, they know it. Kids know if teachers don't like them. And they say it, and often we we have to give the kind of oh you're not we're not I don't know what the line is for that uh, we're not supposed to be liked all that kind of stuff. Um, it helps if you like your kids. <laughs> like I'll be real, um, we don't hate children. I think people often say as teachers we don't hate you, um, but you hear a lot of t kids that are quite perceptive saying, "Madam doesn't like me, sir doesn't like me, sir picks on me," and we know often that's exaggerated, but sometimes there's an element of truth. And I've said this to some a colleague of mine before and they accepted it. And I was like, listen, because we had a situation where there was a kid who last week had a, a spate of behavioral indiscretions. And then the following week, something happened in the classroom um, where it was slightly unclear about who the person was that had done the thing. And the teacher, without knowing for certain, um, accused that same child of doing that thing. And I had to, and then the child and child and when I spoke to child after because the child was like beside themselves saying it wasn't me so it was just like they just picking on me blah 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 that was in their words they're saying picking on me what what we translate that what I translate that to be is yes we have subconsciously you've been affected and the same way you've I don't use the word criminalized properly but you've got an impression of this child and if something else happens you instinctively or subconsciously think ah was it that person again because they've just done the same thing like five times last week and that does happen with human beings. And then when I spoke to the teacher about it, um, they, I think they accepted, yeah, do you know what? I think you're right. So we need to make sure our teachers are reflective um, and we're not on high horse all the time thinking that our, our decisions are always, always, always right is what I think. I don't know. That's just how I roll on it, I guess. Um, let me know what you think. I'm more than happy to hear um, disagreements and everything else. And more importantly, I've been talking for 35 minutes nonstop. So if you want to call in and debate and discuss and everything else about these restorative practices plus tangents, then please do. Um, Mao said, absolutely. I see so many teachers come into a chat with a kid, all guns blazing again. It needs to be you as an adult talking to the kid, discussing ways forward. It is a forward, it's a forward looking conversation. It's about, right, that has happened. We now need to move on. We need to do everything that we can. And I'm going to keep emphasizing we, not you, we. We're going to do everything that we can to make sure um, in future lessons we avoid this as much as possible. 
So that's the focus. The focus is restoring it and moving forward and should leave with some targets. Yeah, Make, codify it, not so as to be written down, but like get them to buy into the targets as well. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? What are we going to do? Um, and that'll get you, that'll make it much more effective. Um, Caps agrees, seen some hundreds. Um, Mao said, listening is so important. It's coaching the kids. Listening, ah, oh, mate, listening. Um, if you don't know me, I'm, I'm the, a safeguard and lead. So listening is a massive part of my role. And in listening is something I need to, I tell all our members of staff during training that you want to be a listening school and you want kids to feel like they're listened to. And therefore, restorative conversations should be an opportunity to demonstrate that. Um, even if there's two adults there. I feel like you should have two adults in a restorative conversation where possible. One-on-one can, I don't know, like I feel like if it's, for example, it could be the, the subject teacher and the head of department or the subject teacher and the form tutor or subject teacher and the head of year, for example. Um, I just feel like, cause we, then the adults can be a kind of check and balance to one another. And then, because you can get lost in your own words when it's just a one-on-one. I feel like having another adult there can be quite useful as long as it's not used as a way to become overbearing and for the child. But yeah, listening is very important. Noam, welcome. And thank you for sharing the show. Um, then Mao's gone on to say, while I was having a quiet, reasonable chat with a kid outside a classroom, I had a member of SLT stop and tell. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Mao said, so while I was having a reasonable chat, chat with a kid outside the classroom, a member of SLT uh, came by essentially and started to talk to kid about being in trouble and it ruined the chat. Oh, they yelled at the kid. Um, and Mao at the time was an SLT member herself. I've seen this. I've been there. Not in terms of, I've been there when in a previous school, it's always a previous school. In a previous school, I think what happened, I I had taken, I'd been users on call. I'd taken the child out. Um, I was having a really kind of reasonable chat with the child. They were calming down. Um, everything was okay. I was ready to try and get them back into the room. And then the class teacher for whom the behavior had, in whose lesson the behavior had happened came out. Um, and then I kind of gently inquired. Uh, so I said, we've had a little chat. Um, so what kind of happened? And I asked the teacher, maybe that was my mistake, but I asked the teacher what had happened. The teacher came in on a hype, still pumped from the misbehavior that had happened. And as Mal said, it completely undid because all that happened was fire was met with fire. And the teacher that came back at all guns blazing, the, the, the kid took out their two guns and was just verbally giving it back. And it was being undone. I had to, I had to calm that down. And I said, you know what? What I'm going to do, I'm going to take the, take the child and we're going to go sit somewhere else and we're going to bring him back. And I kind of just removed the child from that situation. I said, sir, you go and teach a lesson. Um, now we're not going to solve this right now. I'm going to go take the child. I'll bring him back. But that can happen. But I feel like, yeah, you just got to be mindful of it. Um, just be mindful of it. Okay, loads of, um, yeah, let's move on. So that's a lot of restorative practice. I've had this article open this entire time <laughs> and I've not even read it. Um, but just to do a little bit, um, just to read a little bit of it. And one thing that it says, and I tweeted this a little bit earlier, it said, it's often said, this is the article, and this is the article from Sec Ed. Welcome to everyone that's joined. Chris Holland, I see you. Um, thank you for joining. We're just talking about restorative practice in schools. Um, often it's said that the quality of a student's learning cannot exceed the quality of their teachers. 
So if you've got a, if you've got a poor teacher, it's going to be poor learning, good teacher, good learning, so on and so forth. And then the re- the author of this article also suggested that the, neither the quality of the teaching nor of the learning can exceed the quality of the relationship between the teacher and the learner. So I stole this phrase and I tweeted it. Um, I did that thing where people might read it thinking I came up with something really profound and really I just stole it from an article. Um, and then I tweeted it and then I got a couple of responses, um, a, a bunch of likes, and everything else. And I'm starting to rethink it a little bit. Just to reiterate, I'll say it one more time. It says the quality of learning, teaching and learning cannot exceed the relationship. But the flaw in that statement is it's because I think Mrs. O, one of my kind of Twitter acquaintances, replied saying that she learned loads from someone that she wasn't like a massive, massive fan of. Um, and I was like, yeah, I don't think it's saying that. I don't think it's saying that you can't have a, a, a good, okay relationship and then you can't learn really, really well. I think it's all it's saying is if the relationship is poor, if it's bad, if it's rock bottom, then you can kiss teaching and learning goodbye. That's what I think it's saying. I think if you've got good, a good or okay relationship, then the teaching and learning has got a solid foundation and can either be good or it could exceed it. But if the relationship is poor or there's a breakdown, then you're not going to get good teaching and learning for that individual pupil if the relationship isn't there. So that's where restorative practice comes in. Um, the article goes on to say, every day in lots of different ways, our students ask, do I matter to you? Do you notice me? Do I belong here? That's what our students ask us implicitly when they come to us or they raise issues or they speak up or whatever else. They're asking, do I matter? Do you notice? Do I belong here? And if we aren't careful, the article says, because actions speak louder than words, the answer will be seen in the behaviours that play out. And it's not always what we say, but how we do our actions. And that can all, always affect how the, that in a more ways can affect how the student feels. So we need to be mindful of things like body language, tone, all those things that a lot of experienced practitioners take for granted. But then when you observe your inexperienced colleague interacting with a pupil outside the door with arms folded, for example, that already presents that you're closing off yourself physically and maybe you're closing off yourself emotionally as well. So I think if you're a person, an SRT member listening back, and maybe you've got some influence over how your teachers or just over the, the culture of your school, have a look, just see how people interact. Maybe there's a gap. Maybe there needs to be some training or some guidance on use of body language. Because who? when do we get training on body language? Yeah, it doesn't happen. Like I don't, I've not had a CPD session on positive body language when talking to a child one-on-one. It hasn't happened. But you need to be conscious of it because I do see conversations outside the classroom, teachers there, child's there, face-to-face, teacher's got the arms folded and they're talking to the child. The child sees you looking closed off um, the child sees you looking maybe like I don't know like a security bodyguard the guardian of the door like <laughs> you know what I mean so we need to open palms for example open posture arms out not out, I say outstretched like you're flying not outstretched but you get what I mean those little things not t- teachers don't think of because they don't talk I don't think they always talk about that stuff in the training and everything else um, so that's what the article was talking about to do with body language, how important it is when you're having these conversations. You say I, um, and so on and so forth. Right. Looking at the chat, there's been some messages coming. Oh, coming in. Miss Saeed, welcome. Thanks for joining. Um, relationship is key. She, she says, liking a teacher and respecting are two very different things. Agreed. Um, Noam is talking about perfect rapport is something that we need. Um, 
Miss Saeed says, I can think of teachers who taught me whom I didn't particularly like, but I respected what they could teach me. Agreed. Which means you've got a relationship with them that is positive. You respect them. You don't have to like them. You respect them. You respect them for what they do in their craft. You respect them for who they are as an as a adult. Therefore, you're more likely to learn from them. Um, then then Caps has said that he have he has in work, I think he's talking about in work, he's probably, is this about body language, I assume, that maybe he's done some training at his work in body language. And then Mao said, assertive discipline CPD back in 2001. Wowzers. Wowzers, wowzers, wowzers. 2001. Um, yeah, I've not had it. Assertive discipline CPD. So Mao said she had some training on it, um, but that was over over two decades ago. Um, crazy. It doesn't happen. Um, but it's so powerful. Those little, it's the soft skills that have so much impact. Um, I make people, you need to have a conscious decision to approach the situations, even when the restorative conversations with the hope and in the hope that the child wants to be better and the child will be better, whether it's behaviorally or not. So then your approach should be always looking forward. And I think your body language plays, um, plays a massive part in that. And also judging whether now's the time to have the conversation about it or whether they just need some time outside. Um, and so on and so forth. Right. We are somehow halfway through. Um, so what I'm going to do is perfect time for me to drink some more water. It's also perfect time for the ads and the news, which will be about six or seven minutes. So make sure you use this time in the words of Miss Saeed to have some tea or pop to the loo. She was saying in a recent show and we'll get back on the other side of this, maybe continue the story to practice or more likely going on to look at um, trauma, trauma informed practice. I'm starting to get a bit hoarse again. Um, <clears throat> or we get onto, if we've got time, unconscious bias. Because that's something that is big. And it just goes under the radar. And if we don't start grappling with it um, head on, then we can be having some... some. <laughs> Miss Saeed said, have a hot drink. I don't, I don't have a hot drink to hand. I'm going to have some water. I've had some tea earlier today, courtesy of the missus. Shout out to you. Um, but I'm going to have some, 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 uh, <laughs> Caps are saying, have a bit of Henny. Um, I'm going to claim ignorance on that one. I don't know what you mean by, I don't know what Henny is. I don't know. What do you mean by Henny? You must mean apple juice. Um, and yeah, let's go to the adverts. Let's hear from our sponsors. And on the other side of this, we'll get back into all things pastoral CPD. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cats. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www. 
winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Following extensive research into the importance of the early years, Oxford University has involved nearly 4,000 children from across the UK in three specially developed science lessons. The aim of the lessons is to educate pupils about brain development during early childhood. The SCENE project, Secondary Education Around Early Neurodevelopment, is part of a drive to increase public understanding of how early experiences can shape the adults we become. Dr Elizabeth Rapper, Senior Scientist at University of Oxford, comments on the university website, in the same way that we teach children about the risks of smoking or poor diet, children also need to know about why experiences in our early childhood years are so important for later health. Just one in four adults recognise the importance of the first five years of life for providing lifelong health and happiness. The lessons taught the neuroscience of brain development and what that means in terms of how a child grows and develops, as well as focusing on specifics such as how a caregiver should speak to a baby to promote their language development. Schools in some regions are once again facing closure although this time it's the weather rather than the pandemic that is to blame. ITV News reports that snow and ice led to the full or partial closure of schools across Yorkshire. The closures were largely due to staffing issues as many staff struggled to get into school after yellow weather warnings for snow and ice were issued. The cold weather also prompted an article in the Metro focusing on the temperature inside schools as many try to increase ventilation to mitigate the transmission of coronavirus. The article reminds readers that there is no minimum temperature recommended for schools in current legislation, but that schools should follow all health and safety guidance to ensure pupils and staff are kept safe. On the official government website, .gov.uk, the Education Hub features a story from University's Minister Michelle Donnellan. The piece entitled, What I Wish I Knew About Uni Before I Started?, offers the Minister's top tips around topics such as UCAS deadlines, maintaining your mental health during both the application process and starting a course, and advice about funding and the Turing scheme, which replaced the Erasmus scheme. The website also includes a link to the video recording of the interview. In further higher education news, the Nigerian Tribune reports on a regional conference which is investigating the impact of private universities on public universities in Africa. The event was held at Babcock University and has the support of the University of Texas at Austin and the Carnegie Corporation of New York. Professor Toyin Falola, conference leader, stated, We are studying five countries, Ghana, Nigeria, Uganda, Kenya and South Africa. The conference aims to focus on developing the knowledge economy and how it can be improved. The project intends to assess the performance of private universities and understand the impact they are having on public universities in driving up standards, increasing student recruitment and improving the range of courses on offer in all institutions. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. 
Happy New Year! This is the first in a short series on the New Year's resolution a lot of us make and the effect tech can have on it. Can technology really help us get fit and healthy? According to the Fitness Industry Association, around 80% of people who sign up to a gym in January stop going in February. Can technology provide a free alternative? Now, before I start, I need to throw down a disclaimer here. I am assuming you already have a mobile device that is capable of running apps, therefore the cost of the device is written off, and I take no responsibility for any pain, both physical and or mental that you will inflict on yourself. You are responsible for your own scaling and moderation. That being said, there are thousands of free fitness apps out there. The first barrier for teachers is time. School Week have reported one in four teachers working over 60 hours a week, so in a 12-hour day, where do you fit a workout in? If the gym's out of the question, what are the other alternatives that are time flexible? Let's start with some totally free options. YouTube is full of fitness videos and challenges from sit-ups and press-ups to squats and chin-ups. A more extreme example is Athlean X. This channel is dedicated to workouts with pro trainer Jeff Cavalier. Some claim it to make a difference in just seven minutes a day. This may seem crazy, but seven minutes is a lot more than nothing and adds up to more than three quarters of an hour per week. If you're more of a social media motivated person, how about one of the many fitness tracking apps for walking, running or cycling? Most have a free basic package and in-app purchases for additional features. If I use Strava as an example, a free basic package allows you to track your exercise, join friends, set challenges and meet people around the globe with similar interests. My only word of warning would be to ensure you consider your profile settings to keep yourself safe. Hiding the start and end of a walk, run or ride for example, will stop your home being shown on a map. For most people pushed to time, this will be where you start and end your exercise. Also, if you exercise regularly at the same time, this could be showing the world where you're likely to be or when your house is empty. For those who want to start softly and just be a bit more active, a less intensive option may be having a step counting app. Again, there are lots of different apps out there. My example is Sweatcoin, a free app that allows you to earn Sweatcoins, a form of digital currency that can be traded in the Sweatcoin store for discount codes, vouchers, and even given to good causes. This is a simple app and can run in the background, so you don't even need to remember to switch it on. Finally, calorie counter apps are a great way to look at what is actually going on in your body in the first place. On apps like MyFitnessPal, you can log your weight, calorie consumption, calorie output, and also have the ability to sync this with other fitness apps, so you don't need to log your exercise twice. As long as you're honest and log all of those glasses of Prosecco, not just the first, you're rewarded with detailed feedback on not only your calorie intake and output, but where those calories came from. Whatever you choose to do for the new you in the new year, why not do a bit of looking around and see what you can pick up for free first? I'll leave you with one of my favourite sayings, anyone can do nothing. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, I am back. That has been wonderful for my voice to just get a little break. Um, but we're back. Thank you to those that stayed in the room. Um, we're back. I just said we're back about three times. To move on to the second part of the show, moving on to look, I just, you know what, actually, no, before that, I want to just read, because as, as that briefing was going on, I was reading one of the articles and it just summed it up so nicely. Um, the, the paragraph ended with just everything that we've spoken about it put it into a nice, it just summarized it and it just really wrapped it all up in a nice way. So this is, I'm just going to read it out because I think it'll be nice for you to to hear. Oh, can I not be heard? Mal, can you hear me? Well, I say just Mal. Can I be heard on the on the studio? Because, um, oh, there we go. Okay, cool. Um, I believe probably Mal, just, <laughs> does that mean you turned the, did you turn the volume down now yourself? I, I get that impression. Did you, have you just um, exposed yourself there? 
Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pete says busted. I thought uh, that's what I'm thinking, Pete. I feel like Miles, turn the volume down. Um, oh, Miles, turn the volume down. But I've realized what happened. I said I was back. And then Mal was making a joke. Mal tried to do a funny. I get it. Howdy, howdy, ha. Thanks, Mal. Um, so, yeah, let's look at this. So, just to summarize, this is what the article says. Remember, this article is from SecEd, which is sec-ed.co.uk. And I started with it when I was talking about what students ask us. But then it goes on and it says, schools that explicitly put a greater focus on proactively building and maintaining relationships will find that there will be fewer occasions where relationships break down and therefore less need for them to be repaired. Getting involved earlier in the life of a problem will also help. For, for children to be able to feel, sorry, for children to feel able to talk, you need adults who are willing to listen. Shout out to Mal. We, when we have adults who are unwilling to listen, we end up with children who are unwilling to talk. Yes, yeah, preach. That's one of those one of those phrases I might copy and paste and tweet out and make it seem like I came up with it. Then it goes on to say, such an undertaking needs everyone to act explicitly across the whole school with these goals in mind. This entails keeping a close eye on our own behaviours and habitual practices, which speak louder than any list of values on a lanyard, a poster or a school website and ensure we treat everyone with respect, no matter of their age. I've added the age bit at the end um, because an 11 year old deserves respect and should be treated with respect as well by a 52 year old teacher. There should still be a res mutual respect there, in my opinion. And the last thing it says is we must involve people in decisions that affect them. Listen actively to one another, be empathetic and deal with conflicts and tensions in a way that seeks to repair harm and sustain relationships. This is the core of restorative practice. And I just love that the, end, the ending sounds like that kind of, I don't know how many of you guys have like church experience, whatever that means. But you know, when you finish a reading and it goes, this be the word of the Lord or thanks be, I think that what it is. Shout, um, this is me expressing my own um, ignorance. I think that's what it is. But either way, when it ended by saying this is the core of restorative practice, that reminded me of um, this is the word of the Lord. Anyways, why am I going on so many tangents today? I think I'm going to blame it on the COVID. Uh, so many tangents today. But the problem is, those of you that listen regularly to my show, I probably often go on tangents. Probably come on. It's just just part of the part of my show, part of the, the fabric. Either way, let's see what's going on in the chat and then let's move on to doing some CPD on trauma-informed practice. Um, Mal, Miss Saeed, oh, I got it. So Mal said it, the joke fell flat. So her joke about Ask Mal's back, she said it fell flat. I just didn't get it. I think I just read it without any context. So it's half my, my fault for poorly delivering it. Miss Saeed said she found it funny. Um, and Mal, Mal finished by saying, amen, indeed. So I like to use these shows as personal CPD and also CPD for anyone else that's listening because trauma-informed practice is something that I just want to know more about and I think is useful for, for professionals that work in schools to know more about it and to know to just know more about it. And I feel like I'm just going to use this platform as a way to talk about it. And if anyone has had specific kind of in-school training that they found really useful, be useful to hear from you guys as well because this is something that I'm not going to claim to be an expert in. Um, I don't claim to be an expert in many things. I just claim to be experienced. Um, but yeah, so trauma-informed practice. So I've got an article again from the same website. And it starts by talking about diagnoses of, I don't know, let's talk about, we've got ADHD, autism, all those different diagnoses. And 
I think the most pertinent thing that this article starts by saying is often the symptoms or character traits or character displays of people diagnosed with ADHD or autism often match those of children that have been through traumatic or adverse childhood experiences. I just did some dramatic pause there to let that sink in. So what it's saying, it starts by saying, your kids, if you think of your kids in school who've got diagnosed with ADHD or autism or whatever other kind of um, special educational needs or disability that is manifested often in their behavior, often a child that has gone through some sort of tra traumatic experience or adverse childhood experience exhibit the same behaviors. So many diagnoses given to children are accurate. Yeah, we're not. We're, I don't think the person writing the article is saying that these are all misdiagnoses. Um, there is, a, there's, they're accurate. However, we need to be aware of misdiagnosis, which is often preventable if we are trauma informed. So what she's essentially saying is, we need to be worried about trying to just diagnose a child with ADHD or autism when they've actually been through trauma, because maybe what we're seeing isn't ADHD. What we're seeing is the effects of long-lasting trauma. And this really hit home. I've only gone through two paragraphs and this really hit home with me because I've dealt with a situation fairly recently in my role um, where there's been the parents of a child calling for, um, and as I just talk about Senko, uh, special educational needs, Miss Saeed comes back into the room as a Senko. But either way, I had a, I had a chat with a parent and they were saying, oh, we've been trying to get our, our son diagnosed with like diagnosed with ADHD for years since primary since primary and even in secondary we're trying to get him diagnosed trying to get him diagnosed and what's also happened unfortunately in this child's life is they've experienced and witnessed a lot of domestic um, violence and abuse in the home from a young age and then we had a meeting and it was spoken about and everything else and the professionals in the meeting said really candidly to the parents they're like we need to deal with the trauma first because maybe what you're seeing, what you think is ADHD, what you think is a kid that can't sit still and just fidgets, oh, he's ADHD, we need to diagnose him, we need to give him some medication. What you're actually seeing is the long lasting impact of experienced childhood trauma. And I remember being in that meeting being like, whoa. Um, and I just, it was quite early on in my kind of DSL career kind of thing. And it just opened, opened my mind open my mind and I think from that moment on well always but I think from that moment on I've really looked at just trying to understand really trying to unpick the behaviors that we exhibit and not just thinking oh, I a first of all never thinking it's just a naughty kid but also thinking ah oh, we need to diagnose him what's the diagnosis it could just be trauma when I say could just obviously trauma is huge so let me not downplay it but it, the, the cause could be trauma okay so the article goes on uh, Miss Saeed says, sorry, lost connection. No need to apologize. Like you're not, you're not in trouble. <laughs> I know sometimes I can come across as very passionate and like I'm telling adults off. Um, and I never mean that to be my intention. So I apologize if you ever felt like I've been telling you off for that kind of tone. I'm just a very passionate person about things to do with pastoral stuff and safeguarding and how teachers treat kids. I'm very passionate about it. Um, either way, we move on. So it goes on and it says, underlying causes of painful life experiences, particularly trauma and loss, can fuel challenging or disturbing behavior and awkward ways of relating to others. These painful life experiences can result in sym symptomatology very similar to some of the most common child diagnoses. 
My worry, and not mine, this is the, the author's worry, is that after a diagnosis, pu- people assume that this is the answer. So the painful events of the child's life that may be triggering his or her behavior remain unheard. And I've, I've, I don't know how many of you guys listening have maybe experienced this, that you feel like, oh, we've ticked the box, they've got their EHCP, or maybe we've got them under CAMS now for their ADHD or their autism. Whoop, we know they're autistic, tick, problem solved. Well, we've kind of addressed the issue. When really, as we were saying, as I was saying before about the iceberg, there could be a whole um, lower four fifths of the iceberg ingrained fully with trauma, unfortunately. And until we deal with that, we're never going to solve what's at the heart of the of the problem for the child. It goes on to say, in contrast, in trauma informed schools, communities and child professional practices, we ask two questions. Why is a child behaving like this? What has happened to the child? Those are the questions um, that trauma-informed schools and communities apparently ask. This is not me. This is me reading an article about it by someone called Dr. Margot Sunderland. So shout out to you, Margot. Um, If you ever do listen in, then let me know. Um, Shout out to Dr. Margot Sunderland. This is her article from... um, Margot is a female... Yes, it's a woman's name. So yeah, this is her article on sec ed. So people in the chat, um, Miss Saeed's come in. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to talk about this in a second. Miss Saeed's come in and said, yes, times a million to this. Um, I think this was about the comment to do with ticking the box and thinking the diagnosis is the end of the matter. Um, many students whom parents think have um, SEMH, which is social, emotional, mental health needs, actually don't. Um, what they've actually probably got is trauma and the lasting impact of it. Um, yeah, agreed. And Miss Saeed has said, you're about as scary as a care bear when I was talking about if I come across as being a bit um, telling offy. And Miss Saeed, that's the thing. You only know me as the Khalil Rouse on Teach Talk Radio. You've never seen the Khalil Rouse in the, in, the, uh, in the office with the closed door with a visioned panel. Let me add that bit on. Don't be behind closed doors with visionless panels. Um, you've never seen the Khalil Rouse on a one-on-one um, with, a, with a child, unfortunately, where I have to tell the child off. I'm not a care bear in that situation. Um, not a care bear in that situation at all. Um, I'm also not like an angry bear, but I'm just definitely not a care bear. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, what's the word I'd use? I don't know a word. I'm not going to say angry because I don't like the word angry, but there's a different side to me. But you see the nice teacher talk radio side where I'm all lovely and joyous and jovial and everything else. Um, then <laughs> we've got laughter. And then, oh, Pete said, no, no idea how to call in. Um, Pete, you've got, Pete, there's a little phone. If you're on the phone, I'm assuming you're on the phone app. You must be on the phone app because you're typing in. There's a gray phone at the bottom where you type in the messages and you just have to press that gray phone and it will send me a notification and I'll bring you in the studio. Uh, Miss Saeed said that is true, and it is true. And then Mouse says hair dryer treatment. I definitely have some hair dryer treatment in the locker. Not now with my COVID throat, um, but prior to this, definitely. There we go. Pete's in the room. There's always that kind of delay. There we go. Pete, can you hear me? Uh, yeah. Can you hear me loud and clear? Yeah, loud and clear, mate. Thanks for calling in. You saved me from speaking. You're happy to do the rest of the show, Pete. You've got 20 minutes. <laughs> be gentle with me. Be gentle with me. I'm not quite ready for that yet, Khalil. <laughs> <laughs> mate, thank you for, thanks for calling in. I know you mentioned... Uh, you want to talk about your pro- your initiative called Traces? Yeah, so um, just if it follows on from um, 
an earlier part in the show about the restorative side of things um, and, and feeds into the trauma-informed practice. Um, and similar to what you said, at, you know, at the very start of your show, you know, I am not the expert in it. You know, I have my eyes open to the whole sort of idea of adverse childhood experiences during lockdown, um, just through some online CPD that I did um, and just reading up on it. And, and, I, and when I say my eyes were opened, um, they absolutely were. Um, I work the school that I work in. Um, our kids come from, you know, well, in terms of sort of Adachi codes and what have you, our kids come from the lowest quintile in terms of deprivation. Um, you know, we have lots of challenges that we face on a day-to-day basis. Um, day, daily, you know, safeguarding needs that we're having to meet and, and support kids with. Uh, our biggest issue that we faced historically, um, pre-pandemic and up to probably the end of last academic year, domestic abuse. Um, that's now been overtaken, unsurprisingly, by um, sort of the, the mental health, suicidal thoughts, um, sort of angle of, of behaviours. Um, so th- there's, lots that, there's lots that we need to be doing to make sure that we're on the forefront of, of being able to support our kids. Um, and I remember a Twitter exchange uh, with Dr. Jessica Taylor and um, some other people that I sort of I was on the edge of previously, um, where, where it talked about the idea of ACEs being sort of deficit-based and and the assumption that just because a child has a number, you know, be that four or or above um, um, ACEs that they've been exposed to over time, that um, that that, that dictates a path for them. uh, And that isn't the case for everybody. And I fully, fully, fully accept that. Um, But I think as as educators, I think we've got a a duty, we've got a responsibility just to make sure that we we know our kids, we know our families, we know the communities that we serve. Um, We're we're acutely aware of of some of the issues that young people have faced over time um, and where we're able to intervene early to hopefully avoid any of those trauma-based experiences sort of manifesting in behavioural or social or emotional issues over time that we can do as much as we can to sort of preempt that and be on the front foot. Um, yeah, so, Pete, one so, sec, one, so just interject. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason I'm saying this because people listen. If you heard Pete saying ACEs, just to clarify, ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. So it's an acronym. Yeah. Um, just to clarify that, to anyone that was wondering, ACEs, what's it about? But yeah, sorry, Pete, just yeah. had to just had to interject. Go yeah, on. no, no, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so, so really, just just to give you a flavour, really, of what we're doing, and and that that eternal question that, that we always get asked. So what, you know, what's the impact of your work um, at the minute? You know, this is something that we are literally rolling out with our staff in the next week or two, because, um, you know, as, as a DSL, I don't know what your experience is, but, but, you know, ha- having worked, you know, for pretty much all of my, you know, the, my, my teaching career in the pastoral world, we often, you know, we're, when we're talking to staff about key kids, you know, th- this word that, that I often find myself falling into the trap of using is is this word issues. Um, you know, yeah. I don't justify behaviour. We don't make excuses for behaviour. But, you know, if somebody has caused a particular issue or needs managing or dealing with in a certain way, you know, I, I've lost count of the number of times I've said to the class teacher, uh, you know, are there are issues at home, there are issues in the community, there are issues yeah. Um, yeah. With, with parents, siblings, whatever else it might be which actually gives next to no information. All it does yeah, is, yeah. Is, is probably create more confusion than anything for, for, a, for, for a classroom practitioner who, who might not know, actually, well, that may well be the case, but what do I need to do? So, um, you know, we, 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 our CPD sort of menu for our, for, our t- for our staff this year has been very much centred around, um, you know, I suppose, emotional intelligence, really, of, of, the, of adults in school. Um, we looked at attachment theory in September. We then built on that with this idea of 
um, emotion coaching in our, in our most recent um, inset training day in November. Um, and where it became abundantly clear that whilst people are really keen professionally to be able to support the needs of our most vulnerable kids that may have issues around attachment and and having been exposed to all sorts of tra trauma they might actually know they might not know specifically what what to do or or, or how to respond um, mm. outside of just supporting the kids to self-regulate and, and and manage their emotions at a particular crisis point so, so sort of thinking cap on and we came away from it. So, so me and my sort of immediate safeguarding team that I work with, we put together, we put together a structure, which as I say, we're launching this week, which we call TRACES. So that, that, that's a bit of an acronym for um, trauma, um, ACEs and also safeguarding. Um, and what we've done is we sort of created a, a three-tier system um, or a three-tier structure, should I say. Um, where the, the first tier, going back to that idea of not everybody who's had exposure to these kinds of issues is, is going to face some of the, you know, some of the immediate emotional issues, behavioral issues, or present them, should I say, um, that we're used to. So, so, so sort of tier one is very low level monitoring. It's saying to a, a, a class teacher, saying to a, a member of the support staff who, who might work with these young people, it's saying, look, be aware that They've either experienced a particular trauma, which could be bereavement or whatever else it might be um, that they've they've had to face, or they've got ex they've had exposure to a, a couple of the recognised um, you know adverse childhood experiences, or there are some fairly low level safeguarding concerns that we're aware of. Here is just a little bit of information about it. You don't need to know a great deal, but you just need to know enough to be able to, to, to just keep one eye on that young person in your classroom, to look out for changes in behaviour, to know who the key point of contact is should there be any issues. Because often with these very low level, low tariff kids, you know, there's barely any conversation about them. So, so people will just carry on, you know, doing what they normally do. And then it sort of goes up to your, your tier three students that have got either, you know, very severe trauma they've ex experienced. Um, you know, we've got kids that have been exposed to pretty much the whole range of, of the recognised um, adverse childhood experiences. And then obviously you can throw the pandemic then on top of that, which I think has been an, an adverse childhood experience for everybody, regardless of what their response to it has been. It's something everybody's had to respond to. Um, or they might be at, you know, a child, child in need or, or at CP, um, CP plan level, which would put them at the highest tier, where there's very clear plans in place, clear targets that need to be met. And it's just about sharing as much of that information sensitively um, and confidentially with all of the professionals in our school to allow them to carry out their jobs in a little bit more of a better informed way um, and, and, and allow them to, to, to sort of have a little bit more of an insight about some of the really vulnerable kids that we've got. Thank you, Pete. Do you know what? I was sitting, I was just, it was nice. Do you know how refreshing it is to just sit back and listen to someone um, speak <laughs> rather than being the person doing the speaking? No, it sounds, it's what you're saying sounds so, so powerful, so necessary. And I'm just glad, well, your, your credits, your, your scored by the sounds of it, Pete, you're doing great work. I guess everything is so context specific, as you know, and the challenges that, you're, that you face in your school with the, your intake that you were talking about presents yeah. challenges that maybe we and I probably don't experience at the moment, but just based on the, the average intake of peoples that, that I have. We, we definitely do have the mental health is, is huge as always. Suicide ideation is huge. Domestic, domestic issues are coming to the fore 
um, yeah. coming to the they're coming they're coming out the cracks now. Like it felt it feels like what's happening is in my in my experiences now, children once they get to like year seven year well I need to my school's only up to year nine at the moment, but I feel like so many kids have made so many disclosures, and when you ask them whether they ever told primary or whatever else, they always say no no they never did, and it's just secondary yeah. school seems to be such a such an important bridge where they start to grapple and they mature and they start to grapple with really hard hitting things in a safe space. And it empowers them to say, do you know what I've been experiencing or I've witnessed or I've gone through a whole, some things for years now. And I've just, I've just internalized it and I've never been able to speak to anyone about it. And now they are. And it's so, so, so important. So just to kind of, People that just come in the studio, you've got um, All Things Pastoral in the studio. Nice to see you. Um, all Things Pastoral, they're one of the, they're one of the Twitter accounts, um, very popular in the pastoral world. Um, so we're just talking about trauma-informed practice at the moment. Feel free to, I know, it's, I feel like this is your first time in the studio. So feel free to call in and join the convo, jump in at the deep end. Um, the article that I've got in front of me does speak about, it goes on and it starts talking about ACEs. And it's saying... Where am I now? Um, yeah, here we go. So it's, this is from the United States, actually. But it's saying that some people might hope that misdiagnosis is a rare occurrence. But unfortunately, it says that they did a, an ACE study, so an adverse childhood experience study, on 17,000 people in the US. And they found like if you experience several ACEs, you have a high chance of being diagnosed with ADHD conduct disorder or being on the autistic spectrum. If you're not aware of what these ACEs are, Maybe you're not really in the pastoral world that much, or maybe you are, but you just need, you, you're just not aware. Miss Kato Stem and Miss Saeed have put links in the chat. I've asked someone to tweet it out. I don't know if someone has tweeted it out or not, um, but there's a, there's a link in there. And also Miss Kato Stem has listed an example of ACEs, um, domestic violence, parental abandonment. Um, you've got victim of abuse, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, victim of neglect, member of the household being in prison, um, growing up in a house or whether adults experiencing drug problems and so on and so forth. And what you said, Pete, is an interesting one about um, we need to let staff, staff need to know, but staff can't know everything. There's a, there's a fine, yeah. there's a fine line in our, in our role. And I find it when you start talking about saying, oh, there's a lot, I always say he's got a lot going at home or she's got a lot going on at home. And they're like, oh yeah. no. But then I, when I flip that and think if it's, if I'd been told that, what you said about now, what do I, what, what does a teacher do with that information? I say to him, just saying, be, I say, listen, keep your standards high, but be mindful that they've got a lot going at home. And mm. I guess what am I hoping? I said, what I'm hoping for is that when, if challenging behavior presents itself, what I'm hoping for is the teacher remembers our conversation in the back of their mind. And rather than going at it, as an opportunity, well, thinking that they're just challenging that behavior and that behavior in isolation, what they're actually responding to is a child presenting needs. Um, and I guess, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think what I want from, from talking to teachers and telling them they've got a lot going at home. Can't tell you too much, unfortunately, but there's a lot going on. I feel like I just want them to think about that in their interactions to therefore there's, be um, more... Em- Go on. So, sorry, I, did, I didn't mean to cut across you. So there's, no, um, there, 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 there's a there's a good video which we've shown to our staff. We've used we've used a, a few different training opportunities to show it um, from the Anna Freud Center, which is all about it's 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 the science, you know, the sort of the um, 
the neurodevelopment of, of the teenage brain and, and those sorts of things and how, how it develops when kids are exposed to trauma. And it's really accessible. It's not long at all. Um, and if you go on the, I, I, I can probably tweet or send a, send a link out for it. But if you go on the Anna Freud Center, um, it's a video that's on there. And actually what it, what it will do is just hopefully just give that little bit of wider context of, and allow a member of staff to, 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 to join those dots. They're telling me that this is a child that has experienced trauma or there's significant safeguarding issues. That is naturally going to have a, have a knock-on effect onto how their brain functions and, and their responses to certain trigger situations. Therefore, as a professional, I've got to take that into account. Like you say, if I've got to challenge them, if I've got to have a conversation with them, I just need to be really aware of how I frame that conversation, make sure that there's, you know, that, that, that there are no particular trigger points in there. Sometimes, you know, a reaction is going to come no matter what, however we manage it. We've just got to manage in that, in that moment to help, help that young person sort of um, come back down and regulate. But, but it's just that awareness. And ultimately, the more, the more we allow our staff to be aware and to be informed of what to do in a particular situation, I think that can only be better for, the, for, for all kids and particularly the most vulnerable. No, definitely, definitely, definitely. Every, when, as you were speaking about the, the triggers and everything else, I was just thinking back to, a, again, just a, I've got a child in, in the schools that I've worked in, in the past where they've had experience of emotional abuse at the hand of one of their parents. So every, and what happens is every time that a teacher um, tells them off in a way that has maybe a more stern tone, that is a trigger. That alone is a trigger because they've been through, they've been the victim of um, emotional abuse for years. And what you're saying about attachment theory and everything else plays into all this. They've been a victim of that for years. Every time an adult who's in a position of some sort of responsibility with a duty of duty of care speaks to them in a way that is more stern and in a kind of inverted commas telling off way, um, it triggers them and it sets them off. And we, I remember having to speak to staff about this, the key staff that deal with this child and everything else, letting them know. And if I didn't do that, I felt like I was doing both the kid and the staff a massive disservice. They needed to know this um, from the moment it happened with one member of staff. I then had to then, you have to then disseminate it to all staff that might interact with this child. Not to say we don't keep the standards high for behavior and expectations, but like you said, it's the tone. You can communicate the same message in many, many ways. And you can't yeah. tell four kids off in the same way if they've all been through different experiences. I get that that's difficult, but what you said about raising awareness is the most important because teachers only respond to stuff they've been taught and stuff they know. Same with any adult, any like if you don't know any, if you don't know anything about it, how are you expected to to act accordingly? So that's where 100%. hashtag past, that's where hashtag pastoral CPD is so important. What you're doing in your school sounds necessary, and it also sounds like it's very powerful. And I hope it. Um, I hope it's actually reaping the benefits that you see. Of, well, over, it'll never be a short-term thing. Over the medium to, to long-term, I hope you see that it's having an impact. But how would you, I guess, how would you, difficult to measure, isn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. You don't, need to, absolutely. No, you don't need to measure it, but it's very difficult to measure. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think the, um, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the initial feedback that we will be looking for, what, you know, will be obviously through, through the staff, through the staff perceptions of things, through staff relationships, how they see their own relationships developing and forming with, you know, with the young people. Do they see their own practice evolving as a result of that shared information? You know, that's, that will certainly be the first and most accessible bit of feedback we can get. Um, and, you know, and hopefully students' happiness in school and, and, and in the classroom mm. then allows them to thrive and, and move on to, 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 
to make better progress in all areas of their life. And, you know, and, and we're really keen not to assume that everybody's responses to their environmental factors and everything they've experienced is going to be a negative one. Um, but what we've got to do is be there to make sure that everything lines up as well as possible to make the school experience and our support for them as positive as possible. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Pete, thank you very, very much. I know you're actually, I don't want to give too much too much away, but um, I know you'll be uh, back on Teacher Talk Radio fairly soon. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to um, it, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, it's going to be great. So Pete's, Pete's going to be one of my actual um, scheduled guests. I can't remember when we penciled, um, penciled you in for early, early Feb, a, I think. Very, I think it was early Feb. Early Feb, yeah. Early Feb, Pete's can be on officially, but thank you so much for dropping some gems. And hopefully we'll have people that um, maybe do some search for the pastoral CPD clinic and they get to listen to this and learn a bit more about um, trauma-informed practice. And just even if they don't get everything they need from this show, maybe it will just tweak something in their brain to make them look a little bit deeper. We have the articles and... Um, Miss Saeed, let me just read out this link actually because people won't be able to come back to the chat. The link is on cdc.gov forward slash violence prevention forward slash aces uh, forward slash index dot html if you want to look at this in more depth. But thank you very much, Pete, because I've only got five minutes to go, so yeah. I'm going to wrap it up now. But thank you very much. Absolutely. For coming I'm going to get back to my roast potatoes. You have a good Sunday. Take care and I hope you're well. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. All the best. Bye bye. Ta da. Ta da. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. That was our own, um, I say our own, the eponymous pastoral Pete, not to be confused with Stinky Pete from Toy Story 2. <laughs> Just, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, it means you probably weren't here at the start of the show, but listen back, you'll get, a, you'll get an idea for, <laughs> you'll get an idea for what I was talking about. So, just to wrap it up, I'm just going to head back to the article. Um, we never got to talk about unconscious bias, which means it's going to be a rollover. It's going to be a rollover to next week, most likely, or to the next pastoral CBD clinic, um, whenever that may be, because I've got a number of guests coming on in the next coming weeks, in the upcoming weeks, um, which I'm very much looking forward to. So the article goes on. It just talks about um, where am I now? For what? Here we are. So the, as I just mentioned, it said the number of ACEs increases, so the number of adverse child experience increases. That will increase the child or the teenager being given some sort of psychiatric diagnosis. Um, in one study, 100 children were told they had ADHD by school staff. Only three were correctly diagnosed. None of the three had experienced any ACEs, so they'd not experienced any adverse um, child experiences. The rest had experienced multiple traumas. Okay, so that's the that's a kind of that's a big hitting message. So I'll say it again: you had a hundred, a hundred children told they had ADHD. Only three were correctly diagnosed. None of these three had any trauma, had experienced any adverse child experience. Sorry, had any adverse child experiences growing up. So the remaining ninety-seven, who staff thought they had ADHD had actually just, not just, but had actually experienced multiple traumas. Symptomology of ADHD and other common child diagnoses often matches childhood trauma and loss. For example, agitation, difficulty con concentrating and hyperactivity. So it just it crosses over genuine um, ADHD, but then also it could be symptomatic of trauma. Some of these children are then permanently excluded from schools as a result of their psychological distress, which presents itself through behavior. This results in a gross failure of empathy to exclude 
traumatized children because of their difficult behavior without asking what has happened to them. Uh, and we know when we do ask what's happened, finding a higher ACE score and providing an emotional available adult to help them grieve, need to work through it, we need to make sense of what's happened. And when we do that, symptoms are alleviated. According to study, the evidence is overwhelming. There's a huge body of research discussing what is called social buffering or protective factors. So what we're saying is the solution, if there is to be a solution here, the solution is not an exclusion. Exclusion is very rarely a solution. We're trying to solve behavior by excluding people. That's not, that's not going to do it. Exclusion is just a consequence. It's a message that you send that we're just going to take some privileges away from you. But when you've got children that have experienced trauma, what they're saying from this article is there needs to be emotional available adults. People need, they need to be, have access to services that allow them to work through and make sense of what's happened. They need to have safe spaces. They need to be dealt with in a tactful way, still kept the same standards, but dealt with in a tactful way. And that is more likely to alleviate symptoms through therapy or counseling than it is to then diagnose them, discipline them, um, exclude them and treat them like a, like a naughty child or a child that can't behave. And on that note, Aaron in the chat has put in um, a video. Again, if you're in the chat, there's a video in there. Um, if you're listening back, it's on Vimeo and it's a talk from a neurobiologist about brain development in relation to adolescence, because that harks back to what Pete was talking about in terms of brain development uh, through the teenage years, especially if you experienced trauma. And I've, I was actually sent uh, a tweet by my partner a little while ago, and I think it had something from what I remember was to do with um, children growing up in a home of stress or poverty can then the neuro who the implications for their brain development from I'm paraphrasing here um, there's evidence into that as well and if it's happening from that young age it makes so much sense that you can exhibit see those behaviors exhibited when they get to adolescent age but it's our job as educators and people working in schools to keep our staff and our colleagues informed and as best as possible so that we can really, really put the wraparound care that's necessary in place for kids. I remember there's much more under the surface. Okay, on that kind of positive note-ish, looking forward note and everything else, thank you as always, guys, for tuning in, participating, typing, laughing, making fun of me, whatever else you want to call it. I appreciate it. Um, we'll be back next week. I've got a guest on next week. Can't remember who it is, but I've got a guest on next week and I've got some guests coming on some, some in the concurrent weeks, subsequent weeks. No, not concurrent, subsequent, subsequent weeks as well. Um, look forward for another, look out for another pastoral CBD clinic coming to Podbean near you. That makes no sense, <laughs> but thank you. I'm rambling now. I'll catch you guys next week. Same time, same place. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Thanks for all the positivity. My, I need to go rest my voice, man. I'm not going to talk for the rest of the day. Um, I can I can feel it. You know, it feels like something's literally in my throat. Like it's so hard. It's like I've got swollen swollen glands or something. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna rest up, fluids, and I'll be back in school next week. But the show must go on, as they say. Adios. Catch you guys next week. Thanks for all the positivity in the chat and for liking the show. Pete, thanks again.
All the best, guys. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday.